Welcome to Leadership Mindset, the podcast where we uncover the hidden gems of sales and business leadership. In each episode, our goal is to bring you up close and personal with the world's most accomplished business leaders. We explore their experiences, motivations, inspirations, and the challenges they've conquered on their way to the top. Grab a coffee and enjoy the conversation with today's guest, Riyad Barkat. Riyad, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Paul. It's my, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting to know you even better. Tell me, uh, tell me where you grew up and tell me a little bit about your childhood. Oh, man, that's, um, where do we start? So uh, I, I grew up in Algeria, actually, so North Africa. Um, very, very unique places. I don't know many people who visited. The few that visited, I like, usually speak very highly of it. Um, I grew up in quite an interesting time um, because um, I was thinking about it the other day. And uh, when I grew up, it was there was a coup. So the late 80s, early 90s, um, there was a coup in, in the country. Uh, a military coup, and it was a very weird time to to go through it because it was quite a turbulent time. Thank God, in the late nineties, uh, it got a lot better, but uh, it did shape up a lot of uh, that generation how we grew up. Mm. Um, I came from a very humble family. Um, grew up mostly with my uh, grandparents. My parents were hard workers. Uh, dad was a pharmacist. My mom was a dental surgeon. Uh, she got to take most of my teeth when I was younger. So I do have uh, not so nice memories when, when you think about it. But uh, it was quite uh, quite an, a good upbringing. Um, I've had a lovely childhood, very happy. And uh, one thing that really shaped it was um, I was always ingrained in uh, working. Uh, so the working culture was something that uh, kind of was brought up to me very young. So whether it was my grandparents rewarding me for certain tasks I was doing around the house to helping my parents in their businesses, whether it was cleaning, sorting out like medicines and on the counter. Uh, I worked in supermarkets uh, as well when I was younger and all different uh, sorts of jobs, whether I was a cashier. Uh, my favorite one was working in the cold cut because I could usually sneak in and have a little bite of uh, of a nice turkey slice every now and then. So um, it was it was a very, um, it shaped a lot who, who, who I was. And I understood very young that, uh, you know, you've got to work to make uh, to make a living and get rewarded. So, so that was always something that uh, my parents brought in. As I grew older, um, I, uh, I traveled abroad. Uh, so I had to leave Algeria. I studied a little bit in France. Uh, I studied business. So I went to France. I came to the UK, um, went to China, and um, spent a little bit of time in, in Dublin, where our path uh, crossed back then, in uh, many few years ago now. Mm. Um, and uh, always that dictated that uh, my passion for for traveling and wanting to visit new cultures, and and also wanted to 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 be exposed to to new countries. Mm. It's an interesting journey. Tell me, what age were you when you left Nigeria? Uh, what age was I when I left Algeria? Oh, Algeria. I beg your pardon. I thought you said Nigeria. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no worries. Algeria, it does sound very... You know what? I do have this a lot. You know, the first person. Because people look at me and they're like... Uh, obviously, in the post, you can't see me. But 
I am white, and they will look at me. They're like, oh, you're not from Nigeria. There's no way on earth you are. So I do. They do tend to mix that up. So no, I do come from so Algeria, North Africa. So yeah, I left yeah, yeah. it that when makes uh, more sense. I left it when I was seventeen. So okay. that's when I finished uh, high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was confused because when you said there was a coup, and I was thinking. I'm trying to remember where was the coup in Nigeria and when was that? I was trying to remember. I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. And so how do you think growing up in Algeria uh, in that culture has shaped you? It's a good question. Um, you, you had to be, it was quite interesting because you had to be really mindful of uh, your surroundings. Uh, basically, you couldn't trust people. There was, uh, you know, a lot of terrorist attacks uh, at that time. So you have to be really watching for who you're talking to, what you're saying, because anything you can say about your parents, people were getting kidnapped for their political standings and things like that. So it was, it really shapes the person you are, where you become a bit more discreet, you become a bit more careful about who you talk to, what type of information do you disclose. And who are your friends? And who are your friends? What do what do their parents do? So you become very close. You develop a close circle of trust. But once you're in within that circle, there's full trust. So within your friends and uh, you know your family as well. Um, I think that shapes you in terms of a few things. Number one, you have to develop street smart capabilities that end up being very useful uh, as you grow older. Uh, you learn how to read people from what they say and how they behave. So you pay a lot more attention to details uh, just in general. Um, and you you also have, uh, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a lovely culture in the sense that um, people are extremely welcoming. So if you've never visited Algeria, I highly recommend going because we don't see many tourists there. But the few is like the people who treat you as if you're their cousin and they've known you for 10 years. So um, it's, it's a very welcoming country, heartwarming, and people love to help each other because of the struggle uh, the generations before us went through when they had to obviously get um, the freedom from the French occupation. So uh, it, it was a lot of inheritance and a lot of pride as well. People are extremely proud to be Algerians because of... Uh, the country that we built and you know the culture we have mm. uh, my my i've never been to algeria one of my abiding memories and i'm trying to remember where i think it was paris i might have been in somewhere in france and algeria had just beaten france in some big big soccer game and uh, <laughs> you <laughs> you'd swear they'd won the world cup final they were hanging out at cars <laughs> the noise it was just and I looked at and all the green yeah. flags and I thought, I'm, I really want to go there someday. Uh, and it's just not been, I don't know. Yeah, you've, you've, you've piqued my interest in it now for sure. Um, and it's interesting. I'm always fascinated by how countries' experiences shape the culture and they shape personalities. And yeah. as you talk, what you talked about there about, you know, being careful who you trust and and that's a very familiar story you get that in, in a lot of countries where there's any kind of strife um i won't say every country but I'll, you, you see it a lot whether it was you know east germany or finland ireland wherever and uh, it, it is quite interesting how 
some of those then become traits and go from generation to generation and then people are not quite sure why 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 are we why why is this a unique fingerprint of our culture and you'd sometimes have to go back several generations to get a a sense of where it comes from it's it's fascinating and and they're the same stories the the same story of of human conflict um neighbors not trusting neighbors because Mm -hmm. of differences of opinion escalate and become entrenched and then uh yeah it's 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 a fascinating story but i don't don't want to dwell too much on that um what was your you you, did you left with 17 was did you say that was for college yeah yes i did so i uh i went to i studied business so in france and, and the uk uh, I've had um, a chance to also work in China. You know, when you're in business school as well, you uh, they, they really encourage you to to experience uh, the, the the working lifestyle and the, the, get some working experience. So that was great. And um, um, I also did my masters. So right after, I decided to to straight jump in my masters and did that in France. Um, and I had a lovely time because it's a funny on how I, so most of my family are in the medical space. So we have a lot of doctors and so on, and it would have been a natural transition to end up being a doctor or to be in the medical field. But after so many family dinner meals where you're talking about surgeries and not very appealing things and you're having dinner, you're just ending up like, is this really something I'm passionate about? And I think the aspects of, because I was always ingrained and I used to do business with like, you know, I, I was buy, buying, you know, these collectible cards when I was younger for my friends and I was reselling them in shops. And I really liked the hustle of buying and selling things and uh, working that. And I was like, you know what, let me just take a separate path than everyone else in my family is doing. Um, so business was the way to go. Um, and it was, uh, it was a great experience and I'm very delighted with it because it wouldn't be the career I've, I've chosen na- nowadays. So it's, uh, it's by far the best, one of the best choices I've done for sure. You said something interesting there, and it should be an interview question on every sales interview is tell me about the time you sold cards, magazines, whatever, door to door. Yeah that I've noticed it in people who would consider themselves to be natural salespeople, not in the traditional sense of being kind of backslapping and outgoing, not that, but just who have an right. innate attraction towards trading and, and, and the buzz you get from, from that. Um, there, there's, there's always clues. I, I often ask, you know, about that as to, was there something in your childhood that, that yeah. spoke to this career and, and generally speaking, there is. So it's interesting that you should say that. Um, yeah. Uh, so tell me, um, I'm curious about the, the kind of things that motivated you when you were younger that, cause, cause I'm, I'm assuming even though when you were doing the cards and, and trading them that you weren't thinking sales, what were you thinking? As, as a career yeah, i wasn't and uh, actually i wasn't i was i, I was always um, thought that um if you needed to have money you had to earn it one way or another mm. like parents would not come and just give it to you for the sake of it, even if they had it um and i truly 
wanted that kind of freedom of having my own spendings if I wanted to buy a little thing here or there uh, that I could do it. So I was always good at saving and also when I could see an opportunity, just trying to make the most of it. Um, my motivation for working really, really hard actually came from um, a personal experience. Um, as my dad had a very successful business and I always see him as you know the icon, as um, as uh, the one who was doing extremely well. Um, he was a distributor of pharmaceutical products in, in Algeria, one of the first ones and extremely successful. But many years down the line, his business did not succeed for a lot of different reasons. Um, so he had to sell it. And I always wanted to say to myself that, you know, I'm going to try to do better than what my dad did and provide to my family and try not to ever be in that position again where you have that uncertainty and where you don't know what the future has to to provide. So when I came to evaluate a lot of my options, um, what really drive me out of business school, I do remember one of the first jobs I had. It was an internship and we were, it was like a sales internship and it was early, I was probably 18, 19 years old, even a lot younger than that, I think I was 18. And um, they were positioning these, uh, you know, these flyers inside the hotels, wherever you go, you always have those flyers with those promo codes. And um, this young, it was a small, tiny business. There were five people and so on. They were looking for people to just go around and try to acquire as many hotels as possible. So here I was in my 18s in Paris, uh, trying to dress quite nicely with a shirt on. And, you know, when you're 18, you don't really wear shirts or anything like that. It's just like, okay, and you have to go and knock on the doors. And I had a map, I remember, I mean, that time, you know, uh, we didn't have, uh, like, the smartphones capabilities we do have today. So I was going on a map and walking all around Paris. And I was walking to these four or five-star hotels trying to position these, you know, nice furnitures with all the, the flyers in them. Uh, and it was quite enlightening because I was making a commission uh, about like, I think 10 or 15 euros for every hotel I signed up. And I was like, wow, okay, this, this is limitless, right? Every time I sign up a hotel, I can get uh, a nice commission. So it started that way where I was kind of exposed to it. As I grew through business school, um, you know, all the smartest people in the business schools were always going to fancy consultancy jobs. And I actually started, uh, you know, well, during business school, there was this fair and there was this company called Oracle that I've never heard of before uh, that were exposing there. It's like, what is this thing around technology database? And it's like, I have no clue what it is. Like, I'm, I'm used to gaming and computers and things like that, but you don't really know mm. uh, the things that power it. So... I went through a few rounds of interviews and I got a job offer and it was in Dublin and I was in Paris and I was like, oh, I'm not going to go to Dublin um, for for just starting this job and leaving my life behind me. So I ended up taking one of those fancy internship in a consultancy firms in Paris and it was the month of July and I remember it like today and I was wearing a suit, showing up to to the desk and waiting for people to come and tell me what to do. And I just thought after a month, I just looked at myself and it was like, this is not the life I want to ever live or this is not the how I want to start my career. Um, so I was just really bored by the type of vision, the work you had to do there. And I just knew that just didn't connect with what I wanted to get through. 
Um, funny enough, the hiring manager at Oracle, I'm sure you know, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, somebody we definitely know in common, kept calling me and checking on me. And I was like, this is weird. Like, I've never been in a process where the person just checks on you. It's like, hey, how are you doing? And caught me in, in that moment of time where I was in my fourth week and I was just like, ah, you know what? I'm not that excited about the opportunity I, I had. And uh, if the opportunity there um, is still available, I would still love to join. One week later, they sent me a contract um, and uh, I ended up joining the lowest level you can ever think of starting in sales. I think those roles don't exist anymore because we used to profile people. Now you have tools like, you know, Zoom infos and, and so on doing all so of those. So you started as a profiler. I started as a profiler. Wow. And for those for those of you who don't know what that is, you basically have, you know, you have the SDRs and then you have the profilers aim to progress into SDRs. Mm. And you had to qualify contacts and call people to just verify that they were still working there, they were working in this department and so on, which hopefully has became obsolete thanks to the development in technology now and the tools we have. But yeah. it was quite um, a learning experience where I started there. It's a really difficult job for people who don't understand it or don't are not familiar with it, I should say. What I always found difficult for it and, and, and people who came into the class, I remember from, from that group, I always had my respect because when you're calling people up, you have nothing to offer. It's not like you're a, a rep where potentially you have, you, you know, you have solutions, they may have problems and yeah. you're looking to have a conversation around that. You're looking for something from them. You have nothing to give back. So it's exactly. purely from your own personality where you, you, you get them to, to, to onsite, to like you quickly, do you a favor. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the ultimate because it's one after another and um, it's, it must grind you down after a while. There's no question about it. Oh, absolutely. And um, it's, it's an extremely hard job, but you know, it taught me one thing, resilience. It was okay to be told no on the phone and you start accepting rejection very easily. And you know what? I do not wish that I started anywhere else in my life, in my career, because it really built up um, uh, my ability to pick up the phone and call people up. I still do it right now. Like we do PG hours with my team and I'm like, I'm never going to ask you to do one thing. These are senior enterprise SaaS reps uh, that look after strategic accounts. And I'm like, I'm going to be there hitting the phone with you guys. So I'm not going to be trying to sit around. So we're going to do it together. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, luckily enough, I was very successful. I've done that for two months and was progressed very quickly to uh, a BDR role, which um, also ended up being extremely successful. And then thanks then, Obviously, that's where our path have crossed at that time where I came to find out that there's actually a real process and techniques and uh, things you can learn to make sales um, a lot easier, specifically prospecting and building deals. So that was really enlightening. And I embraced that with all my heart because those foundational aspects and attributes really contributed to uh, the sales career I've had over the years from being um, uh, an IC very successful I see to a leader as well. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the leadership in a moment and, and that journey. Just wanted to, there's a couple of things that have stood out to me in what you said was first thing that was interesting to me is that here you were, had this job in a consulting company, 
So then a lot of people would would hold, you know, the prestige company, um, like it, it you had it made, or at least you were on the on the path, and that you gave that up for profiling, which is a task, a thankless job, right? Yeah. And that's that's a fascinating insight because it speaks to me of somebody who is understands what they want. Um, but but more than that is is willing to do something about it. Is willing to take a step back or what feels like a step back, and be, because you have a, a longer term aim or you just know that this is not for you. That was the one thing, and that's that's very brave yeah. to do that because like the other thing is you're moving from Paris from a, from a culture you're you, you know you spent years there you're familiar with it to go yeah. to Dublin, <laughs> Dublin of all places from Paris. Having come from right. Algeria, that's not a standard path. So that's that's hats off to hats off to you for that, man. That's that's incredible. That's one yeah, thing. The other thing that for for any any sales manager listening to this, if you if you if you interview somebody and you like them and you feel like you've lost them to somebody else, they've joined somebody else. Don't give up. Wait that month. Wait because yeah. within a month or two months, they're going to know whether this that new place feels right for them or not. And you've caught them where Absolutely. they're, you've caught them early so that like if you had maybe had been in there six months, nine months where you developed relationships and kind of got used to it, it would have been harder to leave, even though the job might not have been, you know, it was the same job. So getting them yeah. early be before they've committed everything to it. I thought that that was interesting. So kudos to the hiring manager for, for checking in and that awful Absolutely. phrase checking in <laughs> yeah but in in this case it's absolutely valid and um yeah cool good 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 um man that's that's oh yeah and the third thing again for other leaders out there listening to this what you talked about is i you said i will never ask my team to do things that i'm not willing to do now you could easily point to your past and say i earned my stripes i did all that stuff and, and and that would be fine, but going that extra step and getting into the trenches with them again, that's that's phenomenal. That is, it really is, because so few people do it. They like to think they do it, but they don't. They'll find an excuse. Um, yeah, you know, there's, there's always a meeting to go to, and uh, and and, I, mm -hmm. and and just even if you if you if you're not there all the time with them, just demonstrating yeah. that this this task, which is sometimes a very thankless task, is not beneath you. That's real leadership. So yeah. hats off again to you for that. Let's oh, talk about you. that that transition then into leadership because now this is a very very different role. I don't know if you found yourself working alongside people. You now you're managing people you used to work alongside. I don't know that you can tell me that. But I, I want to understand what was it about this new role that uh, you might have struggled with or that you had to dig deep with. Um, from, from a transition to leadership perspective, right? Just so, um, okay. Yeah. So I, I've done quite a few, um, right before I get to leadership. So as an IC, I've then obviously after working and learning everything I could, um, from a very well-established tech company, I joined a startup and helped them be, I was in the top three number, uh, first employees of that startups in, in Europe. Uh, it was an American startup that was very successful. We went through on an IPO. So going early on in your career through those 
type of moments was very rewarding. We built new regions from scratch. And then I joined another startup that was a little bit more advanced in their journey and did the same again. And it was, um, I cracked the code very quickly where a lot of reps came in and couldn't close net new logos. And within my first six months, and we're talking obviously complex six, seven figure deals. Um, so within six months, um, I would manage to get my first one and then every quarter, a new one, a new one, a new one, and a new one. And it became kind of a formula of success that I kept doing. And I was doing it for many years. Um, the path to leadership has always been interesting for me. So I started developing a plan with the, the regional VP at that time around like, hey, where's my skill sets? I understand I'm not there yet, but I'd love to work on it over the next few quarters, uh, over the next year or so. So I wasn't in a rush. Um, obviously, people come in and out of leaderships, and then the GM of the region came in and is like, oh, Riyadh, we need you to step up and to help lead the team. And suddenly, to your point, here I was leading some of my peers, which is not always um, welcome, as you may imagine. There's always sometimes some friction of like why a certain person comes in versus another. Um, and I think it was a great leadership lesson for me because um, uh, it wasn't easy. My first year in leadership was probably one of the worst um, I've had during that company uh, time because um, I was there and I was asked to kind of go and figure out and try to repeat what some of the leaders before me tried to do. And the team was really struggling to hit the number that year. So it was kind of a lot of things uh, ongoing. And I tried to bring in, obviously, it's like, okay, how can I multiply myself right now and make everybody else successful? It's not anymore about me, my deals. It's all about them. And unless you're able to establish, um, you know, trust and you can validate as well that you can bring in additional value to some people, um, then it becomes very, very hard to, to try to lead those teams. So there was two types of profiles in the team, which was quite interesting, actually an amazing leadership lesson, especially I'm so glad it happened to me early on. The first one were the people who were there for a while and truly respected me as a leader, just in general, as a salesperson, understood that I was willing to help and they could gain the most of it from this. The second type of people, a couple of individuals were like, I know more than you in sales. There's nothing you can teach me about it. And I've been successful way before. And those were some couple of new joiners um, that just came in and they were like, yeah, all my SaaS leaders have 30 years of experience. What are you going to teach me? And really much in that in that kind of fighting spirit. I love that. You know, it's good to be challenging each other's and to always keep it. But that fact for me, the biggest red flag was you don't have a growth mindset. So it was really hard to just tell people it's like, okay, so you're telling me, you know, everything about it. You're going to be successful. All right. So go on your own. You don't need anybody else. You need to be a lone wolf. And so on. I ended up figuring out very quickly that those people made actually my life a lot more difficult than it needs to be. Um, and uh, and it was always frictions, whether it was in sales, uh, team meeting sales, uh, in sales, or whether it was in one-on-ones. It was always in that challenging, challenging. It was like speaking with other leaders at some point, and it was like, is this always like this? And they came to me, it's like, no, actually you're having it a little bit harder than everyone else. Um, so here it was actually important to rely on senior leadership to step in. 
and they needed to coach they needed to do that um and for i mean i don't i don't think it's unfortunate we had to let some of those people go because number one they were not performing number two the mindset was not fitting the culture we wanted to build uh it was very much about trying to help each other's and so on the people who came on board with the methodology that we trying to bring around pg around focusing on you know specific accounts uh around how you want to position the value uh first versus just trying to be tactical sales or relationship sales taking client to dinner and so on those things that we knew didn't work but the things we wanted to implement with this proper sales process worked really well so people who came on board are now some of the top sellers in that business globally so um i'm glad i had that lesson early on because it did teach me something very valuable is around hiring people um you know that uh, based on not just the cv and the experience but very much about the personality that they can bring to the table because you know you just need a couple of um individuals to really throw the balance of the team and also the whole unit so what what i'm interested in is this not tension is not the right word but the, it, it, this duality of reps who you, you call them lone wolves you know go off they, they're just not they, they as you said a you know a, a mindset that's not 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 a growth mindset and so okay yeah. off you go and you also said that well they weren't performing either and i'm curious to know was there did you come across anybody who had who didn't have a growth mindset and performed well have you have you have you ever had that so so i have had that indeed and those are individuals which are a bit more trickier because they do perform really well mm. um and once you start performing really well you kind of earn they believe that they've earned the right to be in such way i do think it's it's important to then wait very carefully versus on what you're trying to build right because the people then will start thinking that to become a top seller these are the characteristics i need to build and that's not true because i have seen some of the best sellers are the ones that are team players they're willing to have all the sellers on deals they really bring in and there are leaders in their own ways it doesn't mean that you don't have the title but those are the best leaders i've seen the best earners as, as well seven figures earners we're talking about and every single person from the ecosystem loves working with them. So for me that's the ideal profile I try to go right now because you know what the number is good but that's not really the type of spirit and the type of people I'd like to build because you need to and that's fine right if you just if you're happy to have a seller that's willing to just close the numbers being that person and they're reliable they're okay that's just how they they act Uh, but if you're really trying to scale a business uh, and build a certain culture of highly performing sales teams, then my go-to is more about trying to bring the other people that were, hey, let's learn from each other, let's help each other. Uh, it's you know, it's a one unit. We're all shareholders in the business versus it's me and my book of business and everybody else. I don't really care what they do. So that was um, that was a direction 
we decided to collectively go with the management team and especially in how we wanted to identify our ideal candidate profile. Um, what were those specific characteristics we start looking for and how do we test for them? Yeah, I, I love your philosophy on that because it's not even, I, 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 yeah, you're, you're kind of saying, look, I'll take a hit on, on, on an individual if they're performing. But I also know for the collective that if I want people to a join the organization and stay in the organization, you have to create an environment that's conducive to that as well. And you can't do that with a, a, a group. I won't call them a team, but you can't do that with a group of individuals who are all individuals and in their own silos. You have to, to do that and, you know, form the team. Interesting. Interesting. I'm, what I'm curious about is just to maybe wind forward a little bit. Um, Talk to me a little bit about how AI is figuring into, because it's so topical at the moment. And yeah. when I talk to people, it's I get so many different responses from heavily into what's mm -hmm. AI. Um, and I'm curious to know how you're seeing it unfold and adding value in your business. Um, I, I, I love AI. I uh, basically seen seen this trend happening we we're talking about ai six seven eight years ago in different ways it evolved so much um and um i i think the the power it can bring is uh, is all about efficiencies and doing things a lot faster um i don't think it's there to replace um uh especially i mean from a sales perspective you could argue if you can have a good ai good enough can it replace some SaaS people, that's, that's a, a general argument you can see. Uh, I think yes and no. If it's a very tactical transactional sales, probably um, in the world of enterprise selling and the world of complex, uh, you know, hierarchy management across the specific accounts and account maps and complex businesses, then it, we're far away from there. Um, I think the, the people who harness the power of uh, AI are able to do things a lot faster. Uh, things probably we're seeing is how do you do an account profile a lot faster? How do you understand the business, right? For example, tell me how this company operated in Q3. Give me a summary of the financial outcomes and what are the exec teams talking about from the last um, you know, shareholder call? Things like that, I love it because mm -hmm. in a couple of seconds, especially when we do one-on-one -on -one account reviews, I'm like, Okay, so what are the priorities for them? Reps comes and is like, you know what? I've not had the chance to like, okay, fine. Let's bring in Bar Chat GPT very quickly. And then here's like three top priorities. I know how they've done uh, last quarter. I know how many clients they acquired. And that is extremely powerful at the fingertip. Prior to that, you had to spend amounts of hours to try to understand how your accounts were operating. Uh, you can even ask AI to tell you is like who is in the exec committee, who is in the exec management team, what's the business structure, break it down. Um, uh, it's funny, I had uh, I had a conversation with a rep the other day. He's like, oh, I have no white space in my, in my account. And I was like, really? I was like, are you telling me we've sold everything we can um, in terms of solution to your specific client? So I bring a BOD uh, and I go into it. It's like, can you give me a breakdown of business of this specific company? And suddenly it's like the brings in is like there's 7,000 people. And it's like, have you ever spoken to them? What did we sell to these guys? Like, I had no idea this even existed. So it's like, okay, great. Well, now we at least know about it. So I think people using it in such way to make their life easier is fantastic. 
what I'm not a big fan of is, you know, I mean, you can use it. Some people like to draft emails with it and things like that or auto responses. And I feel like we're losing the human touch and it's not you anymore. It's, we're not perfecting really how how the use of AI should be uh, in those specific scenarios. Can it, it's, uh, the, the, the amount of efficiencies this will offer to businesses is going to be limitless. And I think we're just at the very beginning of uh, discovering what it can do. You're right. And there's a lot of experimentation with it and how a lot of reps have used it is to write an email for them. Here's something I'd like, I'd just like to get your take on this because it's just something I was actually thinking about this morning was if you're sending an email out to somebody, let's say you're running an event and you want to invite them, rather than send the email from me, the, the rep, to send it from hmm. my AI assistant. So now you, Riyad, you get an email and it says, hey, Riyad, look, uh, this is Paul's AI assistant. And, and so you're upfront about the fact that this is not yeah. Paul. It's, 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 it's like it's, it is an AI and, and, and everything else is similar. I just, you know, this might be of interest, yada, yada, yada. And I'm just wondering how people might feel about getting an email from an, from an AI tool where it's all up front. Like there's no, I, I'm curious to know whether people would be offended by it because you're right, it's not the human touch or whether they'd be curious by it and see it as a, oh, this is new, this is different. Curious to know what your thoughts are. I, I think it would be new, it would be different because number one, you're upfront about it, you're owning it, right? Number two, it's like, well, Paul told me to reach out. So you're like, this AI is actually a little bit smarter than we might think is it is. And so we're not hiding behind an automation tool, a lot of emails that have been sent. I mean, if you can say like, okay, well, this is quite interesting. Let me interact with, with this tool and see if that's the case. At the end of the day, people know these are bombarded by emails, even written by human beings and just ignoring them, right? So um, I think the element of the human touch uh, really stands out. One thing, for example, um, is about cold calling, right? It's just very mixed, uh, mixed feelings about cold calling and calling people out of the blue without a purpose. Uh, but honestly, I don't know if people have been doing it lately. It's the highest amount of connects um, that uh, you can get in the lowest amount of effort. And people are actually able to also pick up the phone, have a conversation, as long as you've done your homework and you've done, you know, your, your specific purpose. So I, uh, to your point, I love the idea of the AI assistant because number one, you're upfront about it is a lot better in my opinion, say, Hey, I've been asked by Paul to reach out to you for a specific event we're organizing that rather than, oh, here is a generic email we're sending mm, to mm. or install base. Yeah. What I was wondering, and there's no way I'm going to test this, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll let you know. I'll let people know. Maybe I'll try it with say a hundred emails. And the idea of it is, it's to, I, to my mind, it's a pattern interrupt. That it's only a pattern interrupt because nobody's doing that at the moment. If mm. other people started to do it, then it's it's just another annoying email. I think there's a novelty yeah. about it at the moment that might just. Uh, might might at least get some early traction in it and i'm curious to know whether i should kind of use it as a say hey listen paul would like to speak to you what's the best number to reach you on or yeah yeah some something it, short it, and simple but upfront. 
it is already adopted, you know. I mean, I, I do recall uh, when I was in the customer experience space um, in, uh, in hotels, they were the very early adopters of AI chatbots. And you have usually these uh, these apps that uh, can say, hey, I'm talking to you. And you're not talking to an agent. You're talking to the, the AI. It's like, I would love to get, uh, you know, some bedding, uh, some extra bedding extra towels in the room. And automatically, somebody is ringing the door and bringing them to you, and there is no human interaction aside of the person picking it up and getting it. But the whole interaction and communication happened through the AI. So technically speaking, we are exposed to these AI assistants, uh, and I think there is a lot more that can be done, uh, honestly. So I'm very curious to see the results of your experimentation. Please do share them with me. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Tell me something about yourself, Ria, that you reckon that nobody you work with knows about you. Oh, God, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, one thing about myself that nobody knows about me is um, I was always curious about different cultures. Um, and that kind of led me to do a lot of traveling uh, across the year. Um, my wife is from a very d different culture than I am. She's from the US, uh, from California. Um, aside of having just similar weather to Algeria, there's not much else really in common, right? So um, it was uh, it was something we, we both uh, actually really love. Um, and whatever we go uh, and travel, so we've done a lot of countries together, um, I, I do two things. Right, and and this is for my own sanity, and uh, from from just to 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 basically enjoy my time while on holidays. So the first thing is scuba diving. So I try to scuba dive everywhere I go, and the second one is fishing. Um, I love fishing as well wherever I go. So those two things are must on any trips I usually take, should the weather allow it, and also mm. the the region, um, and probably. The other thing is what I shared in the very beginning. I don't really share my personal life that often. So uh, if there are colleagues uh, listening to this or people that work with me, they probably learn a lot about my upbringing. So that's something that probably never, yeah. uh, I don't talk about much. Yeah. Interesting. Um, if you were to write a book, what would you write it about? Um. That's a good question. I I always wondered one thing, right? And I was like, there's so many things that we go through life uh, with, right? And at the end of the day, uh, every single person have their own experience in life, their own, um, you know, challenging moments and so on. There are a few things that books usually can help you with. And I just wish I could write my life lessons on things, what to do, what to not do, Thanks to watch for um, uh, and uh, some of the learnings, just so I could leave them behind for people not to do um, the same mistakes that I've done and for going through life in a much smoother way. I do think sometimes living through the experiences are some of the best things, but there are some experiences we can avoid. So you just wish you've had, you've been warned before. Mm. Talk to me about some of those that you're that you're comfortable talking about. Some of the lessons, do's and don'ts that would be in that book. Um, I think that the first one is, um, you know, the, and this is actually a learning from, from Sun Tzu is the best way to win a war is not to go to war. 
right? So, so whenever you have, um, whenever you have a frustration moment, for example, um, and I can talk to a few in my career, uh, I do recall one specific moment um, where I wasn't performing as I was. And I always felt that I was singled out. And every time I was coming to work, I was questioned a lot harder than other reps. And I was, you know, put on the spot a lot more in meetings and so on. So I was coming to, to work with a heavy weight on, you know, my chest. And I kept it for so long and I was really stressed until I spoke with my manager. And I was like, why is that specific person always calling me out on it mm. and so on. And I wish I'd done it sooner. So yeah. one of the learnings would be, you know, if there is a moment that you feel uncomfortable or if you feel like you need to talk about, um, that moment you have to talk about a lot more upfront, a lot more sooner. Um, and be open to it, talk about it. People are there to help you. And actually, since we talked about it, when we came to find out, is like that person didn't even realize that was feeling that way, came to me, apologized, and then said, you know what, I'm so glad you brought it up because we understand how we can best work together. So that is one thing is it's okay to tell about people how you feel um, mm. as long as you know how to approach it, right? Mm. Um, the other life lesson is be respectful to everyone you meet, uh, whether it's a candidate you interview, uh, Anybody in uh, in the business from SDRs to marketing to everyone you work with, it's important. This people, we're all working toward the same mission and it's never easy. Um, you know, everybody's going through their own journey and it's never easy for anybody to obviously contribute to the same mission you do. But also, most importantly, these people end up in other companies and it's a small world where we live in. So people talk. Whenever you go, I, I get so many LinkedIn emails saying, hey, I'm interviewing with this person. It's going to be my next boss. What do you think of them? I've seen you work with them. And they're like, please don't share anything. So people do their due diligence. They want to know who they're working with. They want to know how, how they're going to be working with that person. And they always ask referrals. They always go and do their background checks on the other people because it's, it's very important. It's a big commitment. So mm. be nice. Uh, be a real uh, it doesn't have to be mean being fake, but be nice, be real, be respectful. Those mm. things, they go a long way. You don't have to be the best at what you do, but those little things, they make the relationship, the collaboration, the partnership a lot easier. Mm. I actually, I, I, what you said about people checking out employers and particularly managers, I think is a, a new phenomenon, partly because I think there's a realization that who you work for as in the manager you have is far more important than the organization you, yeah. you know, a good good manager is a great coach a great mentor and will help your career but an average manager in a great company will do nothing for you so that's really and of course i guess it's probably linkedin and tools like that make it so much easier to find out who's worked with whom in the past and makes it a lot easier to ask those questions in the first place so yeah, it makes it even what you just said about being, you know, respectful. Um, it, it's it's knowing that how important that is now is way more important than it was in the past because it stays with you. There's a very long tail on your reputation nowadays that might have been a lot shorter in the past because of yeah. social media. 
Yeah, that's an interesting one that I think people should dwell on. Cool. If you could no longer work in the morning, as when I say no longer work, as in you're financially independent and you're not allowed work. You're not allowed work either in any kind of corporate environment. Right. What would you, what would you do with your life? I'll tell you one thing is um, I keep thinking about it, right? Because, um, I mean, we've had a lot of financial success through the career, right? So a lot, some big financial events. And you're always thinking, it's like, what am I going to do? Do I want to spend a month in a beach on an island? And then I was like debating those things with my wife. And she's like, Riyad, I know you so well. After a week, you're going to go nuts and crazy. You're going to get off the island, build like a house in there or something. She's like... I just have this hyperactive things where I need to be doing something to really feel energized. So, um, and that goes from my daily life, the way I structure it, the way I also I'm, I'm, I'm respectful of my gym time, my, my also my, my diet and everything. So that really dictates what I am. And if I'm not active, I'm not achieving things in my day, I'm down. And mm. I think well, if I don't have to work in a corporate world, uh, it's one thing which I'm, I'm currently doing on the side is it's really mentoring people from, uh, you know, backgrounds of needs, uh, people who need help and being in associations where you can help others. So being at the service of others is really something that's extremely rewarding for me um, as I'm feeling like I'm helping out others. I am getting the most joy of it selfishly. Uh, but uh, it's uh, when you start seeing that, hey, you've been able to help others achieve a certain outcomes, get out of a certain situation make their life a lot better. Uh, and you've been part of that and part of that success. It's extremely rewarding. So I'll probably spend some time doing that. Uh, I just can't see myself sitting around doing nothing. Where do you think that fire comes from? Um, I'll tell you one thing. It comes from, I would say, my mom. Um, my mother is, um, is somebody who always self like she's never been selfish she always prioritized others and growing up i was always wondering like, why are you helping so many people's not helping yourself first and i could see it in her the joy that she was getting even though sometimes she was struggling in life uh, the joy she was getting from that it was un not understandable until you experience it yourself mm. so it started by doing little things like helping out each other this is like oh my God, actually, this is one of the best joy ever because it might not be meaningful to you, but it's extremely meaningful to others. Mm. And just that contribution, just that being part, always leaving a good mark on others. And whenever you meet a person, you're trying to leave them with something positive to think about or that will help them in their life mm. is one of the best gifts anybody can give. So I've had that in my life, people that did it for me is extremely um, helpful, extremely rewarding, and you just wish to give back. So that fire, I think, I don't know if it was just by being part of those experiences, you know, because you're not fully aware, but you notice yeah. them, you experience them, you're just being onboarded with them, it just becomes a habit. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I'm conscious of time, Riyadh, so three quick questions before I let you go. Um, sure. let's do des let's do desert island first so you're going to be marooned on a desert island you don't know whether if or whether you'll ever be rescued um what one item would you take with you and it cannot be a person or an animal it must be a thing what would you take with you 
And there's no phone service or internet service on this island, I should say that. One item that you stuck with, um, mm -hmm. I would love a book, <laughs> you know, just like somewhere to escape. If there's nothing else like you can think of, you can make up knives, you can make up tools, you can make yourself uh, all the stuff, but just having escaping to, to somewhere you don't, you, you just don't have to, that little book could keep you company. Uh, even though reading it over and over and over again uh, would probably be the one um, thing I would I'll take with me. You said a book, was it? Yes. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. Your house home is burning down, and your family again pets they're 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 safe. They're outside. Uh, your phone and your computer they're safe. And you have time to run back in and rescue one thing. What would it be? It's uh, my photo album. Uh, back in the days, we didn't have a lot of digital photos. I need to think of making them digital now. Yes, but I, was I have a lot of pictures. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> no, yes, well, you do. Just give me something to think about for the weekend. Um, but uh, I do have these very old pictures that are quite unique uh, with family. Um, uh, with grandparents that are no longer with us and uh, a lot of people that are, you know, I cherish. So that would be the one thing um, I would run at this stage to go back and, and get. Yeah. And certainly with any of the older photographs nowadays, because it's a, a hobby of mine and certainly I'd be very familiar with tools like Photoshop and so on, that now a lot of them have uh, AI uh, elements of the, those tools that the restoration they can do on scratches and missing body parts and colorization is just phenomenal really phenomenal right so maybe there's something there on some of those old photographs or a little project for the winter to uh get those done because <laughs> if anything happens they're Absolutely. gone yeah yeah all right good stuff and then finally Riyad, when your time on this planet is gone and somebody writes a book about your life what would you like the title of it to be Um, I think, I mean, I don't know if I'd like that to be, um, but, um, one thing I, I like, it goes back to really my roots and, uh, to giving back is just being extremely generous. Um, it could be something like Riyadh, the generous person I met or Riyadh, um, you know, how generous Riyadh was. I think mm -hmm. if I want to be remembered for one thing, it's just generosity of giving back knowledge, giving back uh, to, to people in need and, uh, and really helping those um, in, in who need it the most. Um, that's the one thing I, I would care about if I'm remembered for one thing. Nice. There's your title, giving back. That's it. Giving back. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Ria Barca, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and get to know you better. Pleasure was mine, Paul. Thanks for having me.